0: For once in a lifetime, you need to never stop improving. The constant focus on individual growth. How will you be financially free? Welcome to the Empower Podcast. All
1: right, guys. On today's podcast, we have Anthony Andlin, which is so cool. I'm very, very excited about this. This is the second podcast in a row that we are covering real estate. And there's a reason for that. 90% of the world's millionaires attribute real estate to creating their wealth. And so we really wanna go deep on this. We're gonna have other uh, podcasts on real estate. But last week we had Tyler Bennett and uh, this week Anthony Andalyn. Anthony works with Tyler and Anthony is actually basically gonna be our representative for anybody that wants to uh, invest in real estate with this group, Anthony is gonna be your guy. He's gonna be the one that does your consultation, helps you find the properties, and just sets up the whole thing f- for you. So it's it's good to get to know Anthony. Uh, he has helped people with over 2,500 properties over the last couple of years, so he's very, very experienced. He's in the details, very close with everything that's happening. He has five of his own properties, and then he's been and is an investor on 60 other properties. So uh, definitely well-versed in real estate. And so with that, let's uh, let's jump into things. There's a couple of things I want to recap from last time just to make sure that um, everybody understood these. We talked about, you know, the differences between real estate and stocks. And I just want to quickly go over these and then let's jump into it. Anthony, Absolutely. And get into your background and everything. So um, kind of context with this too. I, I get phone calls or texts or voice texts from reps saying, Brandon, what's your take on this? What, what do you think I should do? Can you teach me about real estate? Unfortunately, I don't have the time to call or set up a call with everybody and go in like really in depth on real estate and what I think they should do. So part of this podcast was formed in just trying to help people with their financial education. Mm -hmm. And it's one area that I can go and kind of dump any knowledge that I have and also get other experts and then share that. So that can answer all those questions in one place. And so to everybody that's listening this is an opportunity for me to be transparent and hopefully helpful to you as here guys here's what i'm doing in a, my own personal life i can't ever endorse things being an owner of a company and things like that but i can share openly here's what i'm doing and you guys can do whatever you want right right and so and we'll get into the benefits of the partnership we have and everything but just three things to go over real quick leverage tax benefits and passive cash flow so i just want to make sure i think tyler Went into he did a really good job on leverage last time that look if if you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars you can buy two hundred fifty thousand dollars of stock with real estate if you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars you you might be able to buy two million or one million of real estate right correct and so that's what we're meaning about leverage is you can just buy a lot more in real estate than you can with stock with the money that you have.
2: And that principle of leverage, obviously you're diversifying your risk as well, right? Because that 250000 in the stock market, if you're saying, hey, I want Tesla stock or Apple stock or Amazon, right? We hear about these big companies. That's great. But you're in one place. Right. Right. Yeah. And so if something happens in the market, which there's so many things that can happen in the stock market, whether it's a presidential tweet, right? Or a terrorist act, or economic concerns, or a virus that hits unexpectedly, right? And we can see these hiccups in the market. I like to use this example that the stock market is like buying a Ferrari, right? It goes really fast, and it can slow down really fast, right? Right. And it corners quickly, right? So you see these stocks, and they go up every day, and they're going down every day, and they're very volatile, right? Real estate is like this freight train that's going 70 miles an hour. And when you hit the brakes, that freight train doesn't just stop right? It's still moving because of the momentum it's carried up over the previous amount of time that it's been going. And so real estate gives you something where if we start looking for the right economic factors, we can sense volatility coming and we can make adjustments to our strategy accordingly where we can wake up tomorrow morning and the market could already be down, you know, 20%, 10%, 5%. Yeah. Right. And so real estate, then also the fact that I'm leveraging and I'm putting that 250,000 into five houses, Right. Those five houses can be located in different markets, different cities that are gonna perform differently. I could diversify in the same city by buying different sizes of homes, right? A 1,500 square foot home, a 2,000 square foot home where I'm not comp- looking for the same tenant to occupy each of those properties is another way to diversify.
1: Sure, and that on that point, that's actually a big reason why I sold all the stock that I was personally managing last year is I just couldn't handle the ups and downs. and. You know, I felt pressure to always be watching it. Do I need to shift out of this stock and over here? And it's I need something that I can set and forget. Correct. And for it to be truly passive. And this model, like the train model, is affordable housing, right? Like houses between two hundred grand, three fifty. What you guys specialize on? Whether the economy's up, down, sideways, whatever. There's always a need for that. That's why I've personally have invested in that. Why I have multiple homes with you guys is because. It's set it and forget it. Whether the economy's up, down, whatever, people need houses that they can afford rent in, right?
2: And everyone needs to be a proper steward over the investments that they have, right? And it does take a little bit of time and attention to check up on them periodically. Sure. But there's a difference of an hour a month or an hour every other month versus I need to be doing it hours a day. Yeah. Right? And one of the things I love about Empower and what you've created, Brandon, and for everyone that's listening you're, you're already accomplishing the hardest part of investing, which is earning the income and the savings to then go invest, right? Totally, yeah. You guys are in an awesome situation where you're actually earning great wages, right? And with that, then you have the ability to save as you're disciplined to then invest. Most people, they, you know, the issue is, if I had the money, I know what I would do with it.
1: Sure, yeah.
2: Well, you guys have already solved that issue. Yeah. So for all the reps that are listening, congratulations. You put yourself with a great place to succeed. Now, our job is to help make sure that you're putting that money to work in great productive places, but also at the lowest risk possible, right? Sure.
1: And that I'm passionate about that subject because a lot of people know my story. I sold for seven years, made really good money the whole time, but didn't have anything to show for it when I left. Right. And so I'm just trying to be the guy to be like, don't do that. And that's, that's the majority of the industry, I think, is really flexing, showing all their money, spending everything. And I think if you do that, then you wasted your time in door to door, whether it's this company or somewhere else. This opportunity is an incredible springboard to help you with the rest of your life. And it can be if you just, like you said, you make the money and you dump it into investments, it's gonna set up the rest of your life. So thanks for touching on that. Uh, the second thing I just wanna cover is tax benefits. I don't think we, we covered this uh, very well last time. Um, so maybe you can walk us through a situation. I think a lot of people don't know what depreciation is or they've never, you know, they've never had to deal with it. They've never had that write-off when they go do their taxes. So could you walk us through an example of depreciation?
2: So let's kind of give you just a basic overview of tax benefits, right? Uh, One thing to keep in mind is that the tax laws are constantly changing. Every president that's in the White House wants to have their footprint and imprint on the tax code. Now, the most recent reform came in December 2017 with the Republican-led Congress and Senate, right? And in President Trump's first or only term, they passed tax reform, right? And pretty significant. And for a lot of you, it simplified the tax code, right? Instead of having all these itemized deductions, they increased the standardized deduction. They made it a little more simple to operate under the tax code. But real estate has awesome tax benefits. So there are some tax-free opportunities that exist in terms of investing, right? You think of Roth IRAs, you think of your insurance contracts that grow tax free, right? Real estate is very tax advantaged in that regard. Real estate is not necessarily tax free, but real estate has all sorts of benefits, right? And so when you look at what you're able to deduct with real estate, the first thing you have to understand is are you doing it personally on your 1040 or are you setting up some type of corporation, right? With the right corporate structure and entity status, you're able to then take full advantage of every tax benefit possible. Now you're able to deduct everything from mortgage interest, which on most of the houses that we're targeting in our system are the equivalent of maybe you know eight to nine, ten thousand dollars a year of mortgage interest. Right. Right.
1: So let's give an example of that, and then you can keep going if there's more. Points. Absolutely. So I, I buy a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home. My payment is probably twelve hundred bucks a month.
2: Yeah, so remember on that, you're putting 20 to 25% down, right? Right. So on 250, that 20% down payment's 50 grand, right? Yeah. That 25% down payment is, trying to do math on the radio, is kind of scary. You're about uh, <laughs> 65-ish, 62 well, and a half. Let's just call right 65, there, yeah. Right? And so that is subtracted off. So you're financing 188 to $200,000 is your amount financed, right? right. That's what the interest is based off of when you're going for your loan. So when you lock in your interest rate at uh, 3.75%, 4%, 4.25%, 4.5%, whatever it is, right? You're locking in that interest rate. That is the amount of interest off of that principal that you're borrowing from the bank, that 200000 right?
1: Yeah. And if you haven't had a loan before, whether it's on a vehicle or a home, the majority of your payment is all interest for the first five or 10 years.
2: Yeah. When you look at your amortization schedule, you know, you're putting very little, You know, so over the course of a year... Towards principal. Towards principal. Yes. When you look at a total payment of, let's say, $1,200, you might be putting $200 a month towards principal in those first early payments. Right. So you're carrying $1,000 of of mortgage interest every month.
1: And that $1,000 is coming off of your income. It can. Yeah.
2: Right? Then you look at your operational expenses. Right? So this is where you look at property management expenses, uh, repair expenses, insurance, right? Um, those types of expenses that come from just operating your properties can all be tax deductible. We'll talk about fees here a little bit later in the in the episode, but those can also be tax deductible, right? Right. And so those are subtracted off. Your closing costs, which happen in the first year you buy the home and then the year you sell the property, can be tax deductible, right? Property taxes. In most of the areas we're focusing, our property taxes range from about two to $3,000, three thousand, maybe thirty-three hundred a year that can be tax deductible. Depreciation on anything exists where you say, what's the useful life of this? And it can be a work truck, it can be a computer, it can be a table, it can be radio equipment, but it could also be the structure of the house. And what you're saying is over time, the, it's no longer brand new. So the effective age of that gets lowered, right? And you're able to deduct the useful life of that each year.
1: And what is that?
2: So in real estate, it's the value of the property at the time you purchase the home. Right. Okay. Over the course of. Well, what they do is they times it by 80%. Okay. 20% accounts for the lot. You cannot depreciate land, but the structure can be depreciated. So it's 80% of your purchase price when you buy it. And then it's divided by 27 and a half years, is what it is in tax code. That's right. For us, that equates to roughly another 4 to $5, $5 dollars a year of write offs.
1: Off your income, yeah. Correct.
2: It's now powerful. if I'm renting a house for fifteen hundred a month, over the course of twelve months, I'm earning eighteen thousand dollars of income. Well, if I'm accounting for ten to twelve thousand of mortgage interest, right, in year one I'm talking about five, 000, six, 000, seven thousand dollars of closing costs, right? I'm looking at rehab to get the home rent ready, which you've had with some of your properties, right? Yeah. I now look at Uh, my property taxes I'm deducting, my operational expenses, my depreciation, if I have that contained in a corporate structure, I can actually carry a loss or show that I have more deductions against the income. And that loss can then filter to future years to offset that rental income. right? Right? So you're keeping the income.
1: Which none of that you get with stocks.
2: Correct. Right? Yeah. With stocks, it's I buy it and then... I ride through the value. If I sell it higher, I sell it low, right? So whatever I sell it at, but it's very volatile. and I'm just riding along on that roller coaster. Real estate's providing not only the growth, the income, right? Uh, a forced savings account with your principal pay down. Every time you make a mortgage payment, everyone listening, that mortgage balance goes down, which means your equity in that property goes up equally. Right. Right? It's like a forced savings account that you realize when you sell. So Tyler covered this last week where we talked about four different profit centers in real estate. The cash flow you're getting now, right? The tax benefits we get the next spring when we file our taxes, right? Yeah. We get the principal pay down and the appreciation when we sell that property at some point in the future. Yeah. And so tax breaks are really important because you are not getting those in the stock market. For sure. And for everyone listening, if you follow Empower's plan... You're going to have plenty of income coming in. You're going to need tax breaks. For sure. Right? Yeah. As a sole proprietor, you're not the normal person, right? Who has just going to standardized deductions. So you can take advantage of every tax break possible, right? And real estate is one of those investments that gives you those.
1: Yeah. And that was the last thing. One of the things you said, it was just talking about passive cash flow. I know you can find stocks with dividends, but you can really create a lot more cash flow with real estate. And that's why I personally have liked it. So leverage, tax benefits... Uh, passive cash flow; those are three things that I personally see that are different than stocks. There's a lot more smaller ones, but those are the big three. So really quick on the on the yeah. passive
2: income, Brandon. So some of the people listening, I know that the ages vary for the people that you employ, but a lot of you are younger, right? And you're thinking, well, at my age, what's an extra two, three, four hundred dollars a month, right? Right? That's what I use going to Swig every month, right? Or Starbucks or whatever, right? The difference is. That is income that you're is spending off that income no matter what. Now, that's not going to get you to retirement. But when you buy number two, and all of a sudden that amount doubles. And then you buy the next one, and that right is added to it. And over the course, if you were to buy um, one home a year for the next 10 years, and let's just say that's what you took advantage of the solar opportunity. If you just use that cash flow and went towards principal pay down on your mortgage, you can have a portfolio of free and clear properties in, in roughly about 15 to 17 years, okay? So for a lot of the people listening, in that time frame, how old are you? You're mid to later 30s. Yeah, mid 30s, right? yeah. And now you can have income of 15,000 a month, 18,000 a month, 20,000 a month, residually coming in.
1: Yeah, I mean, off 10 properties, by the time, like if, if if rent right now is eighteen hundred bucks a month, in ten to fifteen years, I think it's pretty safe to assume you're going to be what in the mid two thousands at least, Correct. like very conservatively. Correct. So yeah, ten properties—that's at least twenty five grand a month coming in off those properties in fifteen years ish.
2: And real estate is a building block investment, right? It's not where everyone should a hundred percent of your investment capital into. Right. Right. I believe you should be diversified, and if you want to take advantage of some cryptocurrency right now. You want to take advantage of, of Amazon stock, right? Whatever it is that you want to do, that's fantastic. But real estate should probably be, you know, around a 20, 25, 30, 40 percent of your investments right now. And that becomes a cornerstone because it's solid, it's tangible, it exists, and it's only going to go up from there. Right. One of the things that we also want to remind our clients of is how long do we hold properties for? We're not the group that says buy this house, own it for 30 years and then sell it, right? Or pay it off and own it forever. Because what happens in real estate, real estate has some risks. And one of the risks associated with it are repairs, right? I don't know if anyone listening has ever had to replace a roof or on your parents' house, if they ever had to go through that experience.
1: I mean, we we deal with it in solar quite a bit. So we have to help people get new roofs all the time. So they're pretty familiar with that and the cost. So what's
2: the cost of a roof? Easily 10 grand. Yeah, easily. Right? If not more than that, right? And so you look at the cash flow that's being produced by the property. If you had to replace a roof, that can take three to four years worth of net income out of your investment right? And so we want to make sure that we're holding the properties long enough to take care of all the benefits. But we also want to sell them before our investors have to encounter replacing a roof or a furnace or an air conditioning unit. Hence
1: focusing on newer homes, right?
2: Right. So new properties out of the get-go allow us to hold them longer without that. And then we sell when the market conditions tell us to. But healthy turnover in real estate is positive because it allows you to continue to experience that growth, Yeah. take your initial contribution and your growth, and then magnify your purchasing power the next go around.
1: Basically move up in leverage. So let's say I have those 10 properties in 15 years. I started when I was 22, now I'm 37. And those are all residential homes worth 250, right? Correct. Now maybe I move into multi-housing or homes that are five to 600 grand or whatever. Correct. Yeah.
2: That's a pretty common question. Hey, I want to get into the duplex now. Well, that's great. But let's start from the beginning. You're a beginner in real estate investor. Let's get you solid assets, solid properties that we know are going to perform long-term for you. And then you can graduate with more experience, right? You mentioned in my bio that that I have 60 partnerships, right? That I've set up and, and properties that I own in those partnerships. Yeah. I didn't just start out of the gate saying, hey, come partner with me and let me find these partners to work with, right? I had to build experience, both in helping clients transact properties, but also on my own, right? And as you gain experience, then you're able to go into different types of properties. A duplex is going to have different complexities and different potential issues and risks than a single family home, right? Because I'm typically dealing with probably a property that's a little bit older in age. Sure. I'm dealing with a lower amount of rent, which means the person occupying that property isn't making as much income. So what's the risk that they aren't able to pay rent?
1: Yeah, maybe higher risk tenant. Correct. Yeah.
2: I might factor in a higher vacancy rate because I'm turning over that tenant a little bit more frequently, right? So when everything's occupied and going well, they pencil out extremely well and people think, I want more of those, right? But starting out, it might be, you know what, let's make sure I get the right properties first so I can graduate into other types of real estate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good call. With that, you just talked about your background. Let's kind of transition there. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then how you got introduced to Tyler.
2: Yeah. So I uh, went on an LDS mission to Hong Kong. I came back, started studying business management and finance. Um, never graduated because I realized school wasn't the place for me. <laughs> right. And that probably relates to a lot of people yeah, listening. I'm sure. There right. Are. Um, So I started going to work. I started as a a loan officer. Um, That led to uh, my first kind of taste of the real estate world. And then I started working for a financial services firm uh, at the time, right before the recession hit. We were the 19th fastest growing company in the state, doing some awesome things. Uh, Then the recession hit. And when the recession of 2008 hit, real estate around the country plummeted. 25 to 75% loss of value in in three to four years. But it created a wonderful opportunity for investors to start buying real estate that was on sale. And so I was introduced to a group back in 2009, and that's where I met Tyler Bennett. Okay. Uh, He was the one controlling their lending team at the time. Uh, And then as we were in that company together, he grew into uh, operations and kind of running things with his business experience. He's a, a fantastic businessman. Um, I transitioned from doing uh, presentations around the country, training clients and and marketers on their system and how it worked. And when they didn't need me to do that anymore, I started selling. And when I was selling, I was, in any given year, equally about 30 to 40% of the properties that were closed just by myself in terms of my own production with my clients. Wow. So it was number one. And I did that for a while. And uh, that's where Tyler Bennett and I have uh, worked together since. Cool. Um, the reason why we're back together and the reason why we're here with Empower is because, again, we see a fantastic opportunity for your reps and these your people that are working for you to say you have great income, you have the ability to transact, uh, whether it's pro- uh, stocks or Bitcoin or properties, right? You can make several investments a year if you do it correctly. And so we wanna make sure that, again, because real estate can be such a cornerstone asset in anyone's portfolio, we want to focus on, and our, our goal is produce great income with the lowest risk right, to the portfolio to maximize our gains in the future and really set up our clients well for retirement.
1: And you talked about diversification. We'll have somebody on that's skin to talk about crypto on this podcast. We'll have multiple people talking about stocks. So hopefully everybody's exposed to everything because I think that's very important too. Let's get into if if there's a rep out there, he wants to get into real estate, he wants to get a home with you guys, what's the process like?
2: Yeah. I am. So one of the other things that you get, you get some exclusive benefits because you're part of Empower. Right. Uh, One of those is you get access to me. I am the, uh, you can call it the account rep, the manager, I'm your guy, right? And uh, the way that Tyler and I have set it up is you get me Any time of day, whatever you need, I'm working with Empower. Yeah,
1: I love that. I was so excited about that. Just to have somebody full-time that anybody could call in our org.
2: So when you have questions, I appreciate reaching out to Brandon, but reach out to me, right? I'm your real estate guy in terms of setting up the plans and going through it. So what we do is we reach out, we schedule a first consultation. That first consultation is getting to know each other a little bit. All right, who is this person? What are their goals and objectives? How are they doing in your business right now? What type of income are they earning, right? Um, how much do they currently have set aside to get into a property? Right. Right. Um, then we, once we figure out what it is that you want to accomplish, we start giving you an introduction to the system. And Tyler's done a great job with that. And, and we'll have some future conversations and recordings about that as well. Okay. Uh, for our, your reps to consume. Once we go through our system and how it works and, and answer questions... The next thing we want each of your reps to do is get pre-qualified. Now, when I look at any game, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, whether it's chess, whatever the game is, the most important rule that exists is the field of play because that sets boundaries, right? In basketball, I know that it's a 90-foot court, right? Yeah. In football, I know I have 100 yards to cover from end zone to end zone, right? But it sets boundaries of then what can be done inside of it. And getting pre-qualified is what sets the rules or the boundary for each of your reps, right? Because it tells us, are there purchase price limitations that we have to focus on? Uh, what's your credit score? Is that going to affect um, how much we have to put down to make the deal work, right? Uh, it could be, hey, I have, I, I'm well qualified. I have the resources. I want to get three homes at once, right? That pre-qualification just sets the parameter of what we can then go execute, Right? So we want to make sure everybody goes through that process of getting pre-qualified. Once we are pre-approved, that just says a bank has looked at my situation and I have the income and the credit score to qualify, we then go out and we start looking for houses. Once we find good quality homes that fit the, uh, the rep's objective, the client's objective, we send those to you. We'll talk and go through them together, answer questions. And if we like them, we'll put them under contract. Once we're under contract... Our purchasing time is about thirty days, and uh, well, let me say that clarify that. If we're doing existing homes, Brandon, you've purchased some existing homes. They're about thirty days to close. If we're doing new construction, it just depends on how far out that completion date is for that property to be finished, and then about thirty days to close it. Right. right? Once that property is closed, you have ownership of it. We get it rented. We have you work with our local property managers in these markets, they get the homes rented. And at that point, that's where it kind of comes the set it and forget it, right? It, it very little maintenance once we get to that point.
1: Let's talk about getting pre-approved. I think a lot of our reps are in the same situation where they need to show two years of, of income mm-hmm. with their taxes. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second, but what else is important in getting approved besides that credit score? how much money should they have available, down payment, all that stuff. Yeah, So
2: there's a couple of things to look at. Uh, Really, it comes down to credit score. We need a minimum 620 credit score to qualify. Okay. Right. I think even if you've had some credit challenges, right, pretty much everyone should be above a 620. Now, if you're not, we have groups that we can get you in touch with that can help bring that score up. Right. Or give you some insights of, Hey, you need to pay off that credit card. Right. Or pay it down below 50%. You know, there's different tricks in regards to how credit is reported uh, and how someone is managing their own credit, that could be helpful to, to maximize those scores. Most of you should be above a 620. Uh, then we're looking at what's called your debt to income ratio. Now there's there's two ratios here. This might sound a little nerdy, but just for, so you to understand the process. There's what's called a front end ratio, which is um, against your gross income on your taxes, what you reported, it's the Mortgage payment against your gross income. Okay. That cannot exceed 40%. Okay. So again, that might affect our purchase price a little bit. Um, and then there's what's called the back-end ratio, which is the total debt on your credit report divided by your gross income. And that cannot exceed 50%.
1: Can you give us an example of each of
2: those? Yeah. So let's just say I'm making 10000 a month. Okay. Right? Of, of income. My mortgage payment cannot exceed... right? 40% of that. Now you can get a pretty large home for a $4,000 payment, right? But my total debt, this would be student loans, um, credit card debt, car payments, other mortgages cannot exceed 50% or $5,000 of my $10,000 of income in total payments. Okay, that's helpful. Now, when I'm trying to qualify for a home, if I'm trying to do one purchase at a time, The banks will actually let you account for what's called projected rent of that property. And so let's just say my house is is $1,500 a month in rent, okay? They'll allow you to account for 75% of that uh, rent to offset the mortgage payment, okay? So I can get $1,125 credit in terms of offsetting that mortgage payment. So most people are able to do one home at a time, right, with that projected rent to offset the payment. When I'm trying to do two or more purchases at the same time, we need to factor in all of those mortgage payments against your debt to income ratio. So, in this example, we can't exceed the $5,000 of our $10,000 of income.
1: So, if somebody wanted to do two homes at, at one time, mm-hmm. how much would they need to be making?
2: So, let's just say uh, if they had no other debts, right? Which I, I spoke or, to. Or like, minimal debt. Minimal. All right. I spoke to someone on your team this morning and very little in terms of payments and, and things on the credit. Yeah. So let's just say a $1,200 payment, right? Okay. If I'm trying to do two of those, I need to qualify for both of those. So that's $2,400 a month in payments, which means at 50%, they would have to make a minimum of 4800 a month in income to qualify.
1: Yeah. So it's not a lot. And that's what I want reps to realize is you don't have to be making a lot to buy Two homes.
2: Correct. So when you're looking at saying, "Well, yeah, I made two hundred thousand, but I showed
1: eighty on my taxes." It's more on the taxes, right? Correct. People get aggressive with the write-offs. They make two fifty, but they show they made forty grand. Right. And I get it. That's cool. But you can't do that when you're trying to buy. There homes.
2: is a fine line to say. There is kind of like a badge of honor as a business owner. Yeah. Right. Which is what your reps are to kind of say, "Yeah, I paid nothing in nothing. taxes." Yeah. Right.
1: In the contractor world, that's huge.
2: It's great to do that, right? And you kind of you win in that scenario, but it also hurts you because now you don't have any income to qualify.
1: So that's why right? you need to work hand in hand with the mortgage company to say, where do I need to be? I wanna get two or three, four homes, whatever it is next year, tell me exactly what I need to show.
2: And it's important to work with a bank as well that understands a self-employed person's taxes. Because you are there are some deductions that you might actually claim with the IRS on your tax return, but from an income qualifying perspective, the, the loan officer can add in some of those deductions back in to help raise that income. That right. can happen sometimes, right? Right, And so you want to make sure you're working with a bank that understands a more complicated tax return, a self-employed individual. And we have those relationships. So you don't need to worry about trying to find that. We have that. You're yeah. plugging into the system. And that's system.
1: what's been nice working with you guys. It's been so easy to get qualified, to you know, get the house, to get tenants in there. It's just been really, really hands-off. I've, I've appreciated that. And they've understood really well how to work with um, 1099s. Back to qualifying with two years of income. Yes. Let's talk about that. Is there any way around it? Uh, Jake's on the podcast. I know you got approved. You found a way around it, right?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. There's been a lot of people that have always said, you have to have two years. If you don't have two years of income, you'll never get approved. But somehow I did. After my first year selling one year of 1099, I was able to go buy a duplex in Provo. Did you live in part of it? Um, I did. I did a primary residence loan. So that that's, that's part why. of
2: it. So there's the conversation of, are you buying a primary residence? Or an investment property. Or an investment property, right. right? So if you're living in the property, so I get this question a lot from some of your reps of, hey, I'm in Fresno. I'm in wherever across the country. Do I buy a primary residence here or do I buy investment properties, Right. And it's a tough call because I don't know your personal situation. Are you married? Do you have kids? Do you want a little bit more stability for your family? Now, if you're single and there's five of you in a house together, right, that's a different story, right? Um, so if there's a personal need that is accomplishing something, so I've been married 16 years. I know my wife likes stability, which is kind of hard to do in an in a entrepreneur world, yeah. right? Uh but she likes to know that she has a place to call her own. So for us, it was really important to get that primary residence for her.
1: But what if you're a young, 22, 24, single? If
2: you're not, right? Yeah. Then start investing.
0: Yeah, I agree Go for the investment property. So on the investment property, is it possible to only have one year of 1099 tax returns and still qualify for an investment property? You're not going to live in it. It's in Florida, somewhere else. Is it possible?
2: So the banks want to see two-year self-employed income. Now, here's how we can get around that. Okay. Right? And this is part of what I've done with partnerships for myself and others. Right? Is you go find a credit partner. Right? Now, that could be a family member. And let's just say it is a family member. It's easier to do that way because if there's that blood relationship, uh, the banks are okay with, yeah, let's just have mom and or mom and son or dad and daughter or dad and son or whoever partner on a loan together. It's a very easy thing to do. There's a cosign situation. Correct. Now, let's just say that it's not. But I've talked about this with some of your reps where, hey, go find another rep that has two years of self-employed history, that's filed two years of self-employed income, and the two of you partner together on the house.
1: Yeah, I haven't even thought about that. Mm.
2: Right? So now what we're doing is, and maybe go 50-50 on the capital to you, just 50-50 partnership, right? Okay. In that situation, it works uh, once that we show... So again, Brandon, you're my partner, right? And I have the two years. You got two years self-employed income. We pre-qualify you. We get that green light from lending. We can start shopping for a house today, right?
1: So are they checking anything on you or is it all underneath me?
2: It would be you. So when in every house, and maybe let's talk about this for a second. there's, There's three responsibilities that happen with every property. You need somebody with the credit and the ability to qualify for the loan. You need somebody that has the capital, right? To put down for the down payment and expenses. And then you need somebody to kind of babysit it and manage it and take care of it after you buy it, right? Yeah. Now, when you're buying your own properties, you're fulfilling all three of those roles. I'm using my credit. I'm using my capital. And I'm going to be the one that will balance the checkbook and and check in with the property manager occasionally and, and whatnot, right? But in a partnership, you're going to somebody else to help fulfill at least one of those roles, right? Typically credit. So you find somebody who has the credit history or the employment history, you partner together. The bank doesn't care if you're in a partnership or not. They're just saying, oh, Anthony and Brandon, I don't care if you're in a partnership. We're just pre-qualifying Brandon. Brandon, go buy a house. Right? Yeah. And that's a situation where we can get uh, some of your reps that don't have the two years. Because one of the things I love about Empower is the growth from year one to year two has been tremendous. Right? And I can't wait to see what you guys do from year two to year three. Yeah, it's exciting. Right. But for those that are in that newer situation, let's go find you a credit partner, right? And that could be another Empower rep. It could be another family member. It could be a friend. It doesn't matter who it is, right? Yeah. That person could be a family member that has a W-2 job, right? It doesn't have to be in the self-employed industry. It's just the bank says, yes, this person is good to go. You two work out an agreement on what you're splitting the profits like. And then you just go buy a house.
1: Yeah, and I've done a partnership, kind of like what you're talking about um, in St. George, where I had a buddy that he just looks for deals because he's always doing investment deals. And so I said, look, I have the capital. I can get approved. You find the deal. And then the third person is, I'll manage the Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So it's a short-term rental. Right. And it's worked out good so far because I didn't have to do anything. I was just there to you know get the loan. Um, But they found the deal. And then the third person is just managing that with every new booking. So it's, it's worked out really well. So I think coming together and f- figuring out, look, here's the pros, here's the cons, here's what I can pull, here's the value, I can provide whatever it is, it can work well.
2: And when we're talking about leverage, well, if you're only bringing half the capital that's needed to get into the house, well, that gives you, you're that much closer to the next property or you do the next one on sure, your own. Sure, yeah, let you right? get more, right? And now you transacted two properties in that first year instead of just one. So it might right? even be
0: worth it for Brandon, in your example, to say, you know what? I don't really need you, Anthony, because I already have two years and I have enough money to buy one house. But if I was with you, I could buy two houses. So Correct. I can have double the leverage because for some people like Brandon that doesn't really need the Anthony in this example, it's like, hey, why, why partner with you when I just buy it myself? Well, maybe you can say, hey, but I have 100 grand too. No credit, but 100 grand. Let's buy two houses or three houses or something like that. Right, yeah.
2: Now, another example of this might be, hey, let's go back to the 250000 we started the episode with, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just go buy it cash, right? For those reps that are in that type of position, you can buy it cash, get that history, and then refinance the equity back out of it to then keep financing other purchases.
1: With the refi, is it as strict as just qualifying for original loan from the beginning?
0: Same criteria.
1: Okay, exact same, Mm -hmm. okay.
0: So when you say show up, like you said, kind of buy it in cash and then go refi because you'll have that history of buying in cash. They look at that, is that what you mean?
2: Well, they'll see that you're using that income, but now it's, hey, I now hit my two-year self-employed income. I now personally qualify, right?
0: Okay, you're supposed to say wait a year, you're saying. Right. Own
2: it, get the benefits, and then, right, go pull that equity back out, and now go buy two or three or four houses that next year. Yeah. Right? So the ways we're talking about this is everybody has a plan. And don't get in this conversation trying to compare what your steps are to somebody else's. So as you're meeting with reps and you're at sales meetings and they're buying a property, celebrate the success and say, good job. I'm following my plan. That plan might be, I need to save a little bit more money. But I'm my projections are looking good this year. By November, I'll be there. Maybe it's, I need to file my 2021 taxes next spring to then qualify. Maybe I look at partnership scenarios. Maybe I'm already there, right? But let's meet and have the conversation so everybody has a plan right? And what your next steps are. And that's the key, because if you know what the next steps are, you now are empowered. Even if you have to wait a little bit of time, you now can be empowered as you're waiting, saying, I know what I'm going to do as soon as this date happens, right? This is my next step.
1: Yeah. right. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's a fantastic opportunity. If somebody doesn't have two years, go find somebody that does and partner up on something. Your salespeople right? Right. Yes. So sell them on the out. opportunity of partnering yeah.
2: and why it's a great opportunity to partner with me versus somebody else. Right. Totally.
1: And right. something I've learned the last year is I'm part of a real estate investment group in Salt Lake. I'm part of a real estate investment group in Utah County. And so many people that have just looked back at their 20 year career in investing are like, it doesn't matter so much the deal, just get in, get in and start investing. That's where you really start to learn. Right.
2: It's not about, and Tyler says this a lot. It's not about timing the market. It's about time Time in in in. the market. For sure. And if you listen to last week's episode again, where he talks about the 4 million units that were short nationwide based off the current demand levels. Yeah. Everyone wants to get into real estate. Having a group that actually has connections to make that happen in this market and economy is a huge advantage over others, right? So get in however you can get in, because what's gonna happen over the next six months, 12 months, right? In terms of growth, right? we're gonna to continue to see double digit type appreciation numbers in real estate because we have to make up this shortfall. Basic yeah. economics, supply and demand. When demand exceeds supply, prices go up.
1: And if you're listening to this, I think you could spend five minutes on Google and just go Google housing shortage and you can see what's happening. I mean, new construction has been going down every single year, but we need more houses. And so it's creating this atmosphere and people are like, why is housing spike so much in Utah? It's, well, we don't have any new homes to put people in, right? There's no inventory on the market right now. And so it's exactly supply and demand.
2: And when you look about how are they trying to fix that, they're building these high-density projects. Now, it's awesome for the developer because they can take the same five acres of land and put in 50 units instead of five. For sure. Right? Um, but it's affordable. It's what people can get into. And at least it's something. Right? Right. When you look at the reasons why people have cash to put down, whether it's incomes are up from pre-COVID, right? We have stimulus money that people receive that they haven't spent. We have equity and properties that have gone up over the last decade, right? People have cash to put down, to be cash buyers in the marketplace. And so having that resource isn't making you unique anymore, right? So how can we be more competitive? Well, it's finding the right team and the right groups with the connections that get you in, right? So you can take advantage of that growth in the next 12 months.
1: So here's a question I know a lot of reps have is, because I think the default that I notice is that everybody wants to invest where they're at, whether it's in Fresno, where they're living, or they're from Utah, everybody wants to buy in Utah. So if I, if I came to you, Anthony, and I said, look, I'm thinking about buying this townhome in Provo or Utah mm-hmm. or Orem, wherever, versus you guys finding me a property outside wherever the best deal is, how are you going to break that down? How How am I going to know if I should buy this one in Orem versus one of the ones that you guys find? What are we going to look at?
2: Yeah. So the first thing that we're going to look at is just purchase price. Okay. What's the town home in Oram going for right now? 400 grand plus? Yeah, probably right?
1: at least that.
2: Uh, and that's not for that's not a great property by the way. Right? That's not like your your top tier quality. That's just a basic town home right now. Versus I can get into a, a new build single family home for 225, 230, 250, right? Now when you're buying it as an investor, 20% down, let's just use some the entry level, right? 20% down on 400,000 is $80,000. Now I need to add in closing costs, fix up costs. My all in amounts probably gonna be pushing 90, 95 grand, right? If I go into these other markets, 20% of 250 is 50 grand. And my all in is 60, right? So I'm saving $30,000, right? That is halfway to my next purchase.
1: Yeah, twice as fast to the next property.
2: So that's one thing I'm looking at. I would look at the age of the home. Right? What does it rent for? Um, this is a good metric that I like to use for everybody, which is take the uh, purchase price of the house. Right? So let's just do this right now. I'm going to p- open up my calculator. Okay. Let's just say that townhome in Provo is going to rent for probably two grand a month. Okay. Right. So four hundred thousand, and divide that by my rent. So that's the purchase price divided by the rent and I get a factor of 200. So that's like this ratio of rent to purchase price. Okay.
1: Is there a name for that metric?
2: Uh, people call it like a rent multiplier. Okay. Um, in the industry, that's you know, probably the best way to re- reference it is just a rent multiplier, right? So you're just referencing how much rent for the purchase price, right? Now, if I go to our markets at 250,000 and I'm getting uh, let's just say $1,500 a month in rent, right? Which is really conservative, by the way. That number's 166 The lower the number, the better because it means I'm getting more rent for the purchase price, right? Yeah. So if I'm now saying everything else being equal and I have the cash to do it in either market, I can get $400,000 of real estate on a townhome, Right for $2,000 a month in rent, or I can get a $250,000 brand new single family home for $1,500 a month in rent, that one sixty six, dollars that single family home example, is a better rent to purchase price ratio. So dollars and cents go where you can get better rent to purchase prices.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. What What's your favorite metric or what metrics do you look at? So Even a, on your other 60.
2: Yeah. There's a couple things that I, I like to base it off of. One is what is my total investment? Not just the down payment to get into a house, because I think that's where a lot of people focus on, which is um, a very small perspective, because there's other expenses that you need to account for. Just so what's my total investment to get into the home, right? Because I need to make sure I have the capital to do it. I like to look at what my rents are. So this rent ratio thing that I just did, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, Then I'm looking at uh, my five-year projected uh, cash flow return. Now, for most of you, again, it's not about that income. That extra two, three, four hundred dollars isn't gonna change your life today. But it also means that you don't need to supplement the expenses of that property from other income sources. Yeah. Which allows you to participate in other investments as well because your house is self-sustaining, right? But I want to know what type of returns I'm getting. Am I averaging 5%, 6%, 7%, right? And there's different things that can happen based off of vacancy, repair rates, right? Uh, some of the expenses in housing are pretty fixed. Like my mortgage payment is going to be fixed, right? My property management payment is going to be pretty fixed. But do I have a, a $200 plumbing bill this month because I had a leaky faucet I had to replace? Do I need to replace a dish uh, a dishwasher? Do I need to go in and I had a pipe burst. I need to file a $1,000 insurance claim, right? And not that these things happen all that often. But those are the things that can make that income a little bit more variable. So I like to look at a five-year projection of what I'm going to net.
1: And then take that and divide it against the initial investment.
2: Correct. Yeah.
1: Are you looking at cap rate, cash on cash return, so cash flow? each
2: investor might have their own metrics. So my basic ones are total investment, rent for the purchase price. I like to see what my net income is. So what's my cash flow return? And then I like to look at what I call the all-in return right? So this is where I'm accounting for my down payment, my, uh, or excuse me, my um, cash flow return, okay. my principal pay down, my tax benefits, and my appreciation. And what is that total return that real estate is going to provide? Because when you are talking about a lot of properties. And even with us, I think some people forget when we're talking about 5, 6, 7% type returns, that's just from one of the four just sources.
1: From, yeah, totally. Right? It's crazy. And let's just
2: do some basic math again. A $200,000 asset, because just easy math, right? If it grows 10%, right, that's $20,000 of growth. If I put even really high, $80,000 into that house, just in that first year, I had a 25% return on my investment, right? Because I had $20,000 of growth. I put 80 into that house. That's one fourth of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 25% plus my cash flow, just say 5%, plus principal pay down of 4%, plus tax breaks of 3%, right? I'm at 36, 37% per year in that property. And that's where you start measuring real estate against some of the other investments that exist. You're not earning that in the stock market. Sure. And if you are, you're in a really high risk, high volatile type of stock that get out now while it's up because you're not gonna exceed that type of continued sustained growth before yeah. you lose, right? So those are the numbers that are important to me. Now, right. for someone listening, if a cap rate is important to them, a capitalization rate where we look at the purchase price divided by the uh, net operating income of that property, I can talk cap rates all day long with them. And we can find, do they want to be at six, six and a half percent, right? Um, or if somebody, I spoke to one of your reps this morning who had some commercial experience. Well, commercial cap rates, you're going to be in like the six, six and a quarter, six and a half percent. Well, we can show properties that are equal to greater than that with more upside,
1: right? What do you think the average cap rate is with these properties?
2: Uh, you're going to be probably somewhere between 6 to 6.5% six is a nice average. And I say that conservatively. There are properties that produce higher than that. There yeah. are other markets that produce higher than that, right? Uh, because each market, as much as we try to make it sound like they're all the same, they all have different economics at play. They all have different forces impacting them. It's not just the same cookie cutter thing everywhere we go. We have the same process, the same team members, the same system everywhere we go. But those returns fluctuate a little bit. Yeah. Some have more growth. Some have more income. Some have, uh, because of purchase prices, more tax benefits, right? So that's something we'll help devise a plan around each rep's objective on what they need the property to be.
0: Okay, that's helpful. Let's uh, do we let's check with Jake. Do we have any questions so far? Yeah, we've had, had a question on what is a cash-on-cash cash return. And they want to hear an example of a cap rate analogy of like, how do you get that 6%? You said the total value of the house and the net rents, right? So they want to hear a number example of that.
2: Yeah. So a cash-on-cash cash return is the net income that you get to keep divided by the total investment you made into that house, right? So again, if I'm keeping... a year of net income, right? And my total investment into that house was $70,000. And let's just do that on air. Damn it. It's always scary trying to do this live. We're at 4.28%, right? Annually. Annually. Yeah. And so that number could be 5%. It could be six. It could be six and a half, right? But that's just what it means. It's what's the net income that you're keeping divided by the total investment that you put into that house, So that's what we refer to as cash on cash return. So an
0: easy, another easy example is you spent a hundred grand to buy the house after your down payment, after your closing costs, whatever it was. And the first year you're going to cash flow 10 grand, you made 10% on your cash on cash return, right? Correct. And then for the cap rate example to get the net and the 6% and why that's cool. I guess people are kind of wondering about that.
2: So similar, but cap rates are calculated on a cash purchase scenario. So this is where you take the net operating income, which is going to be higher on a cash purchase because you do not have the uh, debt service payment to the bank for that principal and interest payment. So there's no mortgage. Correct. So it's a little bit higher amount, but it's the net cash flow on a cash purchase divided by the purchase price. Okay. Gives you a capitalization rate. Um,
1: Which is important if you're comparing it, the Utah property to the Florida property. Correct. That's where you're going to get a lot better cap rate, right? Because your money's taking you further.
2: Correct. Yeah. So we've, as you're looking at different opportunities of Fresno, because this came up with a previous person. Hey, I'm working in Fresno. Do I buy a house here? Do I buy in Utah? Do I buy in Florida? Uh, they're apples and oranges. But utilizing at least some of the same numbers and metrics can bring it more to an apples to apples comparison to say, what are you getting here? What are you getting over here? Which one makes more sense? Right? Um, so those are great questions. And on every house pro forma, that we send a client, it actually has a glossary of terms that defines each of these uh, definitions. Oh, nice. What is a capitalization rate? What is a cash-on-cash return? What does total property investment mean, right? And that is because we do, I do this all day long. It's easy for me to do this. I've done this thousands and thousands of times. It's just muscle memory and repetition. But for a person hearing it for the first time and you trying to, an hour from now, trying to repeat what a capitalization rate is, That's why we provide it to them, right? And we send property examples to everybody as well so they can kind of go through and start getting familiarized with what these look like and the different numbers and what's important. Um,
1: The the terms are on there, but you also have the actual metrics on that specific property. All of the
2: metrics for each property are on there and also the definitions so you could reference them again of what those mean.
1: And basically where that's helpful is if that is foreign language to you, you've never seen those before, it just helps you differentiate from other properties. Is this a good deal or is it not, right?
2: That's the end of the day, right? We all wanna buy a good property. Yeah. We all wanna make a good investment. And so whatever that number is that's important to you, we can show you on these property examples what it is that you'd be looking for. So when you start seeing live properties, you can make decisions more quickly. Because the one thing we don't have right now as a luxury is a lot of time. Because homes are being listed on the market, there's multiple offers going in same day, To be competitive to get you under contract we need to act quickly and i don't say that to create stress for anybody but there is just to understand there's a higher sense of urgency with some of these properties
1: because inventory is low so correct so we
2: might need to make a decision within a couple hours if this is a house we want to move forward with so let's practice with me on several examples of previously completed homes so we can get a feel of doing this live so when you do get a live property you know what you're looking for And you can make a decision very quickly so that we can seize those opportunities.
0: Sure. So, Anthony, another question I've had is, let's say that we do have the money. We're ready. We're qualified. Is there houses? Is there inventory? I know we're low inventory. But let's say, hey, I'm ready to, Anthony, I want to buy a house tomorrow. How long is that going to take me to actually get a good house into my hands?
2: So, that's a good question. We are not a fund. We're not sitting on a warehouse of inventory that's just sitting for sure, waiting for, you know, Jake say, hey, I want to buy a house, and let's walk you down the Rambler aisle. Yeah. Let's go down to the two-story it's like aisle. like buying a couch right there sitting right? there. So we run our inventory like a first in, first out. Okay. Right? Which means those that have been searching for a longer amount of time are a higher priority to us than somebody that just said today that they want to buy a house. Everyone's important. We want to take care of everyone who wants to buy a house. But those that have been looking at three or four weeks, we want to give them that priority, to get them under contract first because they've been looking for longer than somebody just said this morning, I'm ready.
0: Totally. So it might take a few months.
2: So not a few months. I'd say right now we're probably three to four weeks. Okay. Um, now, depending on the market, that could ebb and flow. Some of our markets right now, we could probably get you houses within a couple days to start considering. Uh, and again, it's just depend on the volume of buyers who want to be in different locations. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is where, Brandon, you kind of talk about your story and where you've bought and and those successes. That's great. And I think sometimes the reps are like, I want to do what Brandon did. Right. Let me just go get those same houses. It's a but common again,
0: trend here. Everyone wants to be Brandon out of power. I'm telling you right now.
2: We want to make sure that's the right house, the right market for each of your reps, though. Right. Based on, again, sure. their goals and their objectives. Because each of you have a lot of things in common, but there are also some differences. And so we want to make sure we're getting you the right investment for you to succeed on your goals. And that might mean that we go to Memphis, Tennessee. That might mean that we're looking in Bentonville, Arkansas, instead of Central Florida.
1: And what was important to me for whatever it's worth, if you're new, you're trying to figure out your journey, is important for me to be diversified. So when I went to Tyler and Anthony, I said, look, I want one in Orlando. I want one in a different part of Florida. I want one in Tennessee. I want one I think we did one in Oklahoma or Arizona. Or I don't even know Arizona. <laughs> I need to be better at that. But I wanted to be, you know, really spread out in case a hurricane happened or a flood yeah. or different things like that. I just want to be diversified. So that was something that was important to me. Um, one question I have for you, Anthony, this just like total hypothetical, just very loose question here. Knowing what you know now, if you could keep all your knowledge and I could take you back to twenty-four years old, you're a single dude. You're making 150k a year working for Empower. Next year you, you make 200. The next year you make 253. It's going to go up. Mm-hmm. What would you do with real estate, knowing what you know now?
2: I would leverage everything that I could and get as much of it right now.
1: So walk me through an example. Just buy, buy, buy for a couple of years.
2: So, and and I'm not i I'm not a fan of like you listen to like Dave Ramsey who's saying go eat rice and beans so you can put money in an envelope and then start doing the things you want to do. Right? Yeah. You guys are young. You're making good money. I think you should be celebrating those successes, right? But there's also being wise and smart about how you invest. Now, um, I pulled up today to your office in a 2009 Kia Sorento that I paid off 11 years ago. Okay? Why am I still driving it? It has 178,000 miles. I could afford to go out and get a Tesla today. Yeah. Because the money that I'm not paying into a car payment is going into other investments right? That's important to me. Now, if somebody else says, I want to go buy that Tesla, is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not, right? But also be smart about it, right? Do I go sure. buy the one-year-old model that where the depreciations come off of it a little bit versus buying it brand new off of a lot, right? For sure. So one thing I think, do celebrate your successes and this path and journey you're on. And if that means you want to go travel somewhere, go take that trip. Right. Live life now because no one knows how much time we have. I'm a big believer of that. At the same time, you have to balance that. Right. You have to be smart about it. Yeah. Right. And anything taken to an extreme can be dangerous. Right. So go celebrate some of these successes. But guess what? Also, put just as much attention into your hobbies as you are into your investments. Right. And so when I was 24, I was actually making really good money. Um, And I bought a house. My first house was in Eagle Mountain. Uh, for those of you in Utah, know where that is, and at the time, there was nothing else around Eagle Mountain.
1: What What year is this?
2: Uh, this would have been uh, so twenty four would have been two thousand four. Okay, right.
1: There's literally nothing. There's nothing, there's out, nothing there. out there, <laughs> right? Desert.
2: But I bought it, and because I bought it as a primary residence, my all-in amount, I got a hundred percent financing on the loan. My total closing costs were like three grand to wow. get into this house, right?
1: I bet it's freaking cheap too.
2: It was. Right now, it was a different lending time, right? Different types of loans existed in those mid-2000s that no longer exist today. But I took advantage of that opportunity, right? Um, the next property I bought was a condo in Harvest Hills of Saratoga Springs. I, got, a, I just tired, got tired of going all the way out the Eagle Mountain. I got a little bit closer to Redwood Road, Right. Um, and it was brand new and it was awesome. I liked it because I was young and I didn't want to worry about trying to mow a lawn and to take care of a house. I just wanted it to be low hassle, right? So I found an awesome brand new build that I liked. Um, the recession hit. Now, if I would have taken all this knowledge with me, there are indicators that leading up to it, because I was doing loans at the time, and one of the loans that started going away first was what was called a negative amortization loan. A lot of investors loved them because what it means is each month, the balance on the mortgage increases instead of going down, right? So the negative amortization means that loan balance is growing. But because the appreciation rates of those mid-2000 years were so much higher than the negative amortization, it was an awesome investment loan. And I remember trying to lock in a client. Uh, I had done one on Monday, and on Wednesday, I was trying to lock in another client, and that loan didn't exist. Wow. The bank had canceled the program. Now, looking at that, that's a big red flag of why would a bank cancel this lending program in two days, right? So there were things that were starting to happen that if you had the knowledge and the team around you with the expertise to watch for, I would have seen that coming. And I could have written out the 2008, 2009, 2010 type years better than I did, right? Now, I had some short sales that I went through, and one of the things that I was really grateful for at the time I actually put them in my wife's name because she was working. Our plan was for her to eventually uh, have kids and for her to be a stay-at-home mom. And so I said, I'm going to leverage as much of her earning potential as I can. So those first couple of houses were in her name. When we short sold those, because they were now worth uh, way less than what we owed on them. Sure. Right. It took down her credit. But in the exact same month that I short sold one of those properties, I actually bought a new primary residence with me.
1: Hmm. Why didn't you just continue to rent those out? Why sell them?
2: Uh, For me, it was more, um, the rents had softened so much in those areas. Again, these weren't what they are today. Like Saratoga Springs is a pretty large city today. Yeah. Right. At the time, there weren't a lot of new people wanting to move out to those locations. Demand was low. Right. So when you talk about being in the right location, in real estate, I think we've all heard this golden rule, location, 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 right? Right. I have to be in the right markets and in those markets, I have to be in the right neighborhoods in those markets. That's what you are employing us to do is to do that market research to keep you in the right locations, right? Now, could I have done that? Yes, I probably could have, right? But I also looked at it and said, hey, the amount that's... And Tyler talks about this with his first property, right? I chose to short sell a couple. There's nothing wrong with that. He chose to keep it a little bit longer. Now, the rebounding effect on those properties. So, again, this is one of the mistakes you look back and say time in the market. uh, When the market started rebounding, I'd let go of those properties. They started coming back with a vengeance, right? That appreciation started happening very quick and very very thorough, and it was awesome to see. Um, But I also had that on the new properties I was purchasing because I was now able to buy in my name, right? So one of the things that will help create a plan around is do you buy in your name or a spouse's name? Because as long as each of you have an income stream, you can qualify for 10 homes financed, which is total of 20 financed properties.
1: Which is where Tyler's at now, right? Correct. He's right at 20.
2: And just because you're not married and think, well, that's not me yet. Yeah. Well, keep buying in your name. But then when you do get married, get married yeah. guess what? Pay your wife to be your property manager. For sure. And she's getting three, 4000 a month in income from the real estate. And guess what that does? she now has a job. She now has the ability to qualify. And that opens up 10 more purchasing spots.
1: Even with the income from the solar, somebody could create an LLC and pay their wife the majority of the income. Right. You could do whatever they wanted.
2: Call her your chief operations officer.
1: Do you guys right. recommend setting up an LLC for every property they buy with you?
2: That's a good question. In terms of LLCs, there's a couple things to remember. And again, I'm going to nerd out on this for a second, just to create some context. If you, the state that you live in, if you create an LLC in that state, it's called a domestic entity. And here's my disclaimer. This is not legal advice. This is just experience, okay? So go seek an attorney if you want legal advice. That being said, uh, you set it up in the state you live in. It's called a domestic entity. You set it up in a different of the 49 states. It's called a foreign entity. And then if you set it up out of the country, it's an alien entity. So if someone's living in Fresno right now, and that's where they're residing, California is your domestic entity state. Do not create anything in California right? They have, they're in such financial despair that they're looking at any way possible to grab money from people. The annual renewal fee for an LLC in California is $850 a year. Wow. Okay. Comparatively in Utah, it's 75. Wow. Okay. Um, Even in our other states, the the most expensive state is, is Tennessee at 400 in terms of the markets that we focus on, which is still less than half of what California is, right? Yeah. So, Now you might say, well, I hear about Delaware. Delaware is a great state to create an LLC. And I hear about Wyoming and Nevada and some of these tax-free states and amenity protections and things. But you're also going to be paying the fee for that state. And then when you buy the properties, you still have to register that LLC in the state you own the property. So if I'm creating an LLC per property, that can, one, be a paper nightmare. So again, if you're not very good at being organized, that might not be the best way to go. Most of the attorneys that I've spoken with say, you can own up, there's no limit to what you can hold in an LLC. Brandon, you can have a right. thousand houses in an LLC, but it's the risk and exposure, right?
1: And people that I've talked to, different real estate accounts usually say, do two or three properties per.
2: I say three to four or about 300,000 of equity.
1: Okay. Right, Because that's what, you're, that's trying what to protect you're protecting is that equity. And that's position. why you do it, as we're talking about this, if you're listening, the reason why you would do an LLC is for protection, right?
2: Correct. And tax benefits. And tax tax benefits, benefits, yeah. So So, you
1: get a separate bank account along with that LLC just for that property.
2: And there's also separate filings on your tax returns for each LLC, right? So I like to say, maybe have one for each market because you might have two or three homes in each market.
1: Each state, yeah. Right?
2: And say, all right, I have my Florida LLC. I have a Tennessee LLC. I have an Arizona LLC. I have a Utah LLC. And that's a good way to kind of... Sure, to diversify some of that risk, but still not have one LLC per property.
1: So, if I'm in Utah and I buy a home in Arizona or Florida, are you saying to create a Utah LLC or an LLC in Arizona for that property or a pro- LLC in Florida so for that if, property?
2: If you live in Utah, you create the Utah LLC and then go to create it in Arizona.
1: And Arizona. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's going to
2: happen is you're paying state fees to Utah and Arizona. Okay. Most of the time, now, we have yet to have a client sued by one of our tenants. In over 6,000 transactions, it has yet to happen. Okay, so we're really proud of that track record. We also know it could happen next week. So we want the protection, but this is a pretty small risk in terms of what we've encountered. Yeah. And so set it up directly in the state that the property is located in. That saves you the state fees from paying another state and keeps the complexity of it a little bit more simple. But if you're getting into some larger wealth type stuff and and a larger estate plan and protection plan, um, that's where it could make sense to say, hey, my trust is in Utah. My other companies are in Utah. I want my real estate holding company to be in Utah that then owns these other LLCs, right? Sure. There is a point to that. But as a first time investor, we don't need to go there to begin with.
1: Okay. So back to the just hypothetical again, real quick. You're 24 make 150 grand and get, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to make a little bit more every year, Yep. just like this quick skinny version. What would you invest? How much would you live off?
2: So I would, I would, I like to say, um, you know, live on half of it. Okay. Right. So if I'm making 175, live off your living expense off 75. Okay. And now have 75 to invest. Now, whether that's into a property every year, whether that's hey, I'm putting 20, 30 grand in the stock market every year, whether that's, hey, I want to put a, a, an index universal life insurance contract in place, right? Like there's so many different things you can put that money, but have a place for it, right? Now, I, I'm i of the opinion that you don't want to be putting in money into 10 different places because the compounding effect of interest, if, I, if I'm putting just a little bit into each of those opportunities, my compounding effect is going to be much less than if I put more into fewer investments. Right. So pick one or two, maybe three that you're really excited about and put a little bit more meat into those. So you're getting more growth on that. You mean like right? stocks, real estate, lack Yeah. Of so term. like if you want That's to put, I mean. you know, 20 grand into Bitcoin, great. Go do it. Right? But if don't you, put a
0: thousand in Bitcoin, a thousand here. Yeah. Thousand if you're putting
2: there, a thousand okay. in Bitcoin and a thousand in Ethereum and a thousand into Apple stock and a thousand into Amazon and a thousand into Tesla and a thousand that I'm saving towards a real estate purchase, right? It's just not getting you much. Right. So find a couple that you're really passionate about that you have interest in. And that's probably the other piece of advice there, Brandon is invest in what you have excitement about. Don't invest in something that your, your dad at the country club's friend is, you know, this is what you should do with your money. Right. Yeah. Find what you're excited about because that's what you're going to have better success with and better tracking with and better knowledge about. You're going to consume and learn about it. Right. and Become an expert in that field.
1: Yeah. And I, I think I agree with that in general, but I also hesitate with that because just knowing that a lot of our contractors are in their 20s, I'm sure they're a lot more excited about crypto than real estate. <laughs> Correct. And, and that's so why that's I said, where I'm like, have yeah. that
2: cornerstone piece yeah. that is a long-term predictability piece, right? For sure. And then have some of that excess that you can say, now I can be a little bit more wild and adventurous with some of this. Definitely. Because I've also been very responsible with a good chunk of it too.
1: yeah so i think a lot of it is about risk like it's good to have high risk stuff it's good to have low risk stuff but that's the thing if you have some
2: high risk investments you need to offset that with some lower risk and lower risk doesn't necessarily mean lower return either right don't make that mistake thinking low risk means i'm not earning anything it's just right have the right team right this right system Um, a friend of mine says a system stands for save yourself time energy and money Hmm. right so if you have the right system in place you can put it in there and forget it knowing that it's being taken care of because there's thousands of track records behind you justify it. Yeah. Right. And that's where you can set it, forget it, and allows you to do other things. Right.
1: Right. Well, I know we're a little bit over the hour mark. I'm just going to uh, recap something and then we can do a couple questions. Basically, how it works is we, we need to answer this question from last time. If you call Anthony how do they make money? They make money by charging a $4,000 acquisition fee. So for finding the deal, running all the numbers, bringing that deal to to you, uh, that's that's basically how they make their money. And essentially, I don't know if it can be part of the closing costs or if it has to be paid separate. Do you know on that, Anthony?
2: So we factor in with the total investment number, but it is paid separate. It's a separate line item on the closing document. Now, again, because of our relationship with Empower and your relationship with Empower. And this is something we're really excited about. There's no other group that gets this, uh, but we've actually discounted that fee in half. So your reps are only paying $2,000.
1: Which is huge, right? So it's 50% off. I love that. So cool. Exclusive benefit we have as well as they get an $800 lending credit.
2: Yes. So, because you use our preferred lender again, there's no other group we work with, and we work with other sales groups, other Big solar groups. people, yeah. right? Big producers—they're not getting this. This is exclusive to Empower. That's really cool, right? Uh, First Colony Mortgage, which which is our preferred lender, will actually give you an $800 lending credit off your closing costs as well.
1: That's awesome.
2: Um, which is the equivalent of anywhere from 10 to maybe 18, 20 percent of your closing costs.
1: Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's huge for us, right? Because our two whys are financial freedom and individual growth. This podcast helps us accomplish both, but this real estate investment vehicle could help somebody out in their life long-term. Very much so. And so we want to help them any way we can financially. Those discounts are big, so we appreciate it.
2: And that just, it just saves. It allows those returns to be slightly higher, the total investment a little bit less. And if you're listening to this, you're thinking again, reach out to me, right? We'll make sure everyone has my cell phone number, my email address. I will call you personally. We'll set up a time to talk and we will go through this consultation and start creating a plan of your next steps. And again, that could be you're transacting 30 days from now. It could be that we have to wait till next year, but let's get a plan in place. So as you're making this money and you can take advantage of this opportunity to make good choices with it, they're going to benefit you way into the future. Even if it, you want your investments to outlive your, uh, your time doing solar.
1: Definitely. And real quick, uh, Anthony's number, we gave it on the last podcast, but it's 801-550-4910. We can include that on the notes, too. Uh, Jake, is there any questions?
0: I think, Anthony, I mean, you've been awesome. Seriously, thanks for being here. Thanks for all you do for Empower. But you just hit one of the questions right on the head. Lynx asked, I know that you have to have at least two years of tax returns to start with you guys. Should we be reaching out to you now, before that time, or should we wait till we're closer to the two-year mark? Let's still meet. Let's still meet. Right? Okay. Even if
2: it's, hey, we now have a relationship built. I know who Link is. He knows who I am. And that connection has been made. And even if it's great, we're going to follow up in six months. Now he's on my calendar that we're checking in in six months.
0: So even if he's right? 18 months out or a year away, yeah, let's still a create a plan.
2: Let's figure out what his steps are and what it looks like. And sometimes we are surprised, right? And again, he might get excited about saying, hey, I could get somebody to partner with me and we can get going sooner.
1: I agree right? with that. I think it's, You know, if I'm in that situation, I think printing off a pro forma and sticking it on my bathroom mirror or my wall just to say, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a house as soon as I can. And it's so powerful to visualize what you want to create in your life. The other thing is maybe some of your roommates say, hey, what's that? You're like, oh, I'm going to buy a house with these guys in the next year. Well, what do you need to do it? Maybe end up partnering with somebody just by asking about it. I don't know. But I know for me throughout my life, especially the last 15 years, just looking at my goals and visualizing me having that or me working towards that that goal has been huge. So I would make the call sooner than later for sure.
2: Absolutely. But at the same time, when you're ready, we'll be here. So I'm not going anywhere and uh, I'll be here to take care of Link and everyone else uh, who's listening when they're ready. Yeah. But I, I would still you know, stress, let's meet sooner rather than later to at least create a relationship and start figuring out what your options look like and, and creating and mapping out a plan.
1: Cool. Anything else, Jake?
0: Yeah. The last question was: these guys want to know. We talked about income, how you have to have income to have not to be able to qualify opposed to debt to income and different things like that. The question was: if they're making a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, but they write off half of that, and so they really only show seventy-five thousand dollars, is that enough? Because they're going to divide that number by twelve, correct? So now, now they're making what sixty-two hundred bucks a month or something? If they make seventy-five thousand dollars a year. That's what they go off of, right? For the debt to income.
2: Correct. Now, in that scenario, you're saying you're $6,200 a month in income. Okay. Right. And again, times 50% of that, that's our total ratio, 3,125. So that's the number where you say my total expenses on my credit report cannot exceed 3,125, right? And I can if I'm doing one house, I can count the projected rent of, say, $1,100 to offset that. And that essentially is going to wash out the mortgage payment, Right. So even for someone that said, hey, I made 150, I'm only showing 70, 75, we can still get you into housing. Like, don't feel like I've disqualified myself because of of what I've done in my business to limit my tax exposure. I almost guarantee that there's a way to get you qualified there, right? Now, uh, again, we have to add that two-year income thing. But once we have that done, again, through a partner or yourself, the income side of it it doesn't take a lot of income to start qualifying for these purchases. So it could
0: be seventy-five thousand or less, even sixty thousand or whatever it is. You're we, probably around that mark. You're getting a little low. Right? We
2: qualified a grandma on between social security, um, some investment income. She was making about three thousand a month, and we got her into an investment property. Wow, right? Awesome. As again, as long as you don't have a ton of debt, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have fifty thousand dollars of credit card debt that you're paying on, well, it might be a different story. But again. Let's figure that out. And if that's part of your situation, then part of the plan is going to be, let's get that paid off. So some good right.
0: advice for these guys is say, take that money that you actually, your net, not your gross, what you actually say you're taking home, because that's what the IRS cares Adjusted about.
2: Adjusted gross income.
0: And then divide it by 12. And as long as that's around 3000 2500 or more, you'll be okay. They'll be well, it, it, it kind of
1: depends if they have a primary residence already, because yeah. then they're going to factor in that mortgage. That is going
2: to be things. so again. That's on that credit
1: report, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So if they
2: have a a fifteen hundred dollar mortgage payment, we have to count that. But or that's part of loan. that three thousand. If you have an eight hundred dollar car payment right now, that's part of that ratio, right? But let's walk through it and see what your situation is, and let you know where you need to be. Yeah, right. Awesome. My
1: my guess is for a lot of our reps, if they don't have a house yet. It's probably not gonna be that hard is assuming they have the two years, right? Correct. Because it's like maybe you have a car payment, couple hundred bucks, maybe you have some credit cards couple hundred bucks. Like you don't have a lot in payments monthly.
2: Most of your people are still young enough in their financial lives that they haven't racked up massive debt yet. Yeah. Right? And even yet, I have a, a forty thousand dollar car uh, balance that it's owed, but it's an eight, nine hundred dollar payment. Well, you can still qualify. Yeah. Right? There's still a way to make that work. And so uh, let's meet let's go through the scenarios and let's show you what's possible, right? And again, that's that pre-qualification step. There's no cost to it. It's just a little bit of time. and you know, maybe it's a little painful if you don't know where your financial documents are, but most of us are pretty organized with that. We know where our tax returns are, or I can call my account to get them, right? Um, we can uh, have a secure link to upload them to the bank, and let's get that analysis done.
0: For sure. Awesome. I think that's pretty much all the questions I think that people, The biggest horror story in summer sales is, wow, I made all this money, but the bank thinks I make no money, right? I went to go get a house, I went to try and qualify, and I actually only made $10,000 last year. But I made 80, but I wrote off 70, right? right? So that's why I want these guys to understand when I was looking for houses, it was a huge issue of, well, how much did you write off? And they were like, the lenders were almost excited to ask me to almost like prove like you made the same mistake as everybody else, right? And so I don't want these guys to make that same mistake. So we appreciate your time. Well, oh, that's helped.
2: where we can also give you some advice with your account accountant to say, yeah, even though you might be able to claim those deductions legally, there's a point where you say, I need to stop here so I can show enough income. For sure. Right? Again, let's minimize the tax exposure, but the real estate's going to provide some awesome tax benefits to offset against some of that too. So it's okay if we need to show a little bit higher income stream, right, to get you to qualify. Um, now in some cases, maybe we go back and amend previous year's taxes. I'm not as big of a fan of that. I'd rather say, let's go forward and just do it the right way going forward. Yeah,
1: Tyler said that too. Why is that?
2: It it just creates a red flag with the IRS. For
1: auditing and stuff. Correct. Mm
2: -hmm. And we don't want, you know, let's keep them at arm's length away. Right. Yeah. Um, but if it's our lenders can say, Hey, this is where you need to show an income for this next year. Like we'll go through that analysis with you. So your guys now have a target. So when they go with the account just say, account, I can't write off below this amount, right? Mm-hmm. So let's create that plan and let's get going.
0: And obviously if you're making $300,000 a year, it's going to be pretty hard to write off enough, but it's the 70, 80,000 mark that gets really yeah, low quick.
2: It's more your entry level reps in yeah. terms of their, their earning capacity that first year, right? Yeah. Um, they're probably in a little bit different situation. Those managers and people that are making a couple hundred grand a year, even with major write-offs, they're still probably showing 100, okay. 125, 150,000 of income with the IRS and that's still more than enough.
0: Awesome. That's all our questions, so it's been great.
1: Okay, Anthony, thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks, Empower, appreciate it.
0: For once in a lifetime, we need to never stop improving. The constant focus on individual growth. How will you be financially free? Welcome to the Empower podcast.